Welcome. Thank you for listening to Spiritual Living with author and teacher Francois Feinberg. May the message you're about to hear earnestly touch your heart and may it encourage you in your ongoing love of God the Father, your enjoyment of the Lord Jesus Christ, and your fellowship in both the Holy Spirit and the body of Christ. In Acts chapter 17, Luke narrates most beautifully the Apostle Paul coming into the city of Athens, Greece. And there he encounters the philosophers and the Stoics of uh, that city and perhaps the most intellectual men of the Mediterranean basin. And they ask for an audience with him, perhaps if he has some truth or philosophy or some new explanation on life for him. You can just imagine the Apostle Paul jumping on that opportunity. And he says during his preaching that as he was walking about the city, he saw all of these inscriptions and altars to all the many various gods that uh, the city uh, venerates. And he even found this inscription to an unknown god. And Paul takes that and he preaches Jesus as the Christ to them. Of course, the philosophers and the religionists and the intellectuals of the day, they uh, wanted to make sure they check every box. But for in case there's a deity that they didn't think of or imagine of or have heard of, they don't want to insult that deity. So they made an altar to this unknown God. And Paul says that unknown God that has been in your conscience is actually... Yahweh, the God of the Jews, in Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world. But then Paul does something that for me is most outstanding. He quotes one of the poets of Athens, apparently. And in this poem, there is this phrase that Paul reiterates, and you know it very well. It's Acts 17, verse 28. In him we live and we move and we have our being. For me, this is very intriguing that the philosophers, the intellectual religionists, the, the Stoics, the Epicureans, all of the many brands of people in Athens, they knew that they are supposed to have a living in some kind of a deity. They, they knew innately that their life on earth, their movement on earth should be in some kind of a deity. And their very being, the core of who they are, should connect with this deity the way the, the psalmist would say, deep calls unto deep. They knew that, but they did not know, nor did they ever experience really that living and moving and the connecting, the union of their being with this deity out there, or as it were, the deities that they venerated. Paul comes and say, that deity that you're looking for, that unknown deity that you want to live in and move in and have your being, that is actually God, the Lord Jesus Christ. This to me is what the Christian life the spiritual life is all about. It's about 
coming alive in him. But not just being animated as a single event, but to live in him, to have a lifestyle in him. For me, this is spirituality, not for God to visit with me, nor for me to just visit with God, but to have a brand new living in him. What is the spiritual life but to move with God and to be in the move of the kingdom of the heavens and to be in rhythm, in step with God, to come, to go, to stop as he leads? To me, that is what the spiritual life is all about. And of course, is it not true that the depths of our being aches for the depths of God, the bosom core of my person it's hard to connect with other people in the depths of your being in first corinthians paul would say that no man knows what was within the spirit of another man except the spirit of that man even so no one knows what's in the depths of god except the spirit of god and is it not true that by the Spirit of God, the depths of my person can actually connect with the depths of God at a level where I perhaps cannot connect with my spouse, my children, my family, my colleagues, other beloved brothers and sisters in Christ. There's just an ache in us, a knowing in us even, that my being belongs to God and God alone knows me as the spirit knows God and my spirit knows me and the two have become one. My spirit and God's spirit has joined together. I can finally rest in God the way that Augustine said long ago. We are restless until we rest in him. Beloved, the New Testament is a beautiful collection of writings teaching us how to live in God, how to move in God, how to have our being connect deep unto deep, spirit unto spirit with God. But there are so many things that, yeah, I allow to disconnect me from that life, that movement, and my being connected with God. And I want to address some of those in this message and in the upcoming messages. Beloved, what is sweeter than to live and move and have our being in Him? And what is more aggravating and frustrating to the spiritual life than when that rhythm with God is, as it were, hindered and squashed and, and frustrated. Beloved, I want to highlight in this message for you just one thing that you can be aware of as you live and move and have your being in God, that this could very much be a rhythm killer in your walk with God. The gist of learning to live spiritually comes a little bit from Paul quoting.
quoting that um, remarkable statement from the Athenian philosophers in Athens where they said, in him we live and we move and we have our being. And that, in a nutshell, is what I'm trying to sort of get to in my own life. And it is interesting that Paul quotes that from pagan philosophers. The pagan philosophers um, that is somehow trying to connect with a deity of sorts out there, even they clued in that in a kind of a deity, you can live in that deity, you can move, your conduct can be in that deity, and your being can be constituted with that deity. Y'all, this is from pagan philosophy. So Paul takes it right out of paganism. He says, well, let me tell you about the real God, the real one we can come alive in, the real one we can have a move and momentum and a rhythm with, and the real one that can transform and reconstitute my being. Yay, Paul! But also, yay, pagan! I call them pagan. Just just call them non-believers for now. But there is just something amazing uh, about that statement that even a non-believer, somebody who's not connected with the beautiful, real, true Yahweh God in Jesus Christ through the life-giving Spirit, even that person knows in his heart, I want to live in something. Yeah? I want to move and have rhythm and purpose and a track and, and destiny in something beyond me, above me, besides me. And I want to have my being. And so that's, that's our curriculum, is learning how to become alive in God and stay alive in God and live in Him, learning to move with Him and discern His movement, His rhythm, uh, particularly the seasons of God. All of you that have walked with God for any period of time, you know there are times when God is fast and God is slow and God is loud and God is silent and God has manifested and God is very obscure. And those are the rhythms and the seasons of God. And so the spiritual life is not just coming alive in God, but it it requires training and it requires time to learn how to move with God. When the voice says, go left, okay, Lord, let's go left. When the voice says, yay, and the voice says, no. And that for me is a challenge. And I'm still personally learning how to move with God. And then how to have my being in God, where Paul would say, for me, to live is Christ. Christ is my life. To be constituted in Him, that is to be built. My, everything about my being is in Him, and then allowing everything about His being to be in me. So the two become one. We have one life. We have one movement together. And as it were, we have one being together. That's a little mystical because God is divine. I'm very much human. But we have an example actually in the Bible of a person in whom two beings came together. And it's our Lord. He was divine and he was human. Two unique beings in one. And his humanity was in the Father and the Father's divinity was in his humanity. He was a, for a lack of better words, a compounded man. There was a supernatural divine infusion into this man's being. And there was a tangible human 
infusion into divinity. And he lived what we would call the normal Christian life. His being is in God and God's being is in him. And I am born of the same spirit that birthed Christ and facilitated that compounding. I am born of that very same spirit. So guess what the Holy Spirit wants to do in my life? is to compound God into my being, fuse God into me, and to fuse me into God, baptize me into Him. And so, yeah, I stay very much human. You can ask my wife. I'm not quite divine yet. (laughs) I'm, I'm still just me. But I'm learning to live in one being with God. So Paul says it best. Uh, in Him we live, come on, in Him we move, and in Him we have our? Peace. Say it with me. In Him we live and move and? So that's legacy in a nutshell. As I've been on this journey for some time now with the Lord, um, I've made a lot of blunders with God personally. Um, leave it up to me and I'll mess it up. Uh, that's just my capability. But over the years, as I've run into barriers with God and as I've stumbled myself with the Lord, um, and I'm not quite living and moving and having my being in God, I've taken note. And the Spirit of the Lord has counseled me in many, many things over many, many years. And beloved, here are 10 of the things that I've learned that has helped me, and it may or may not be of, of some value to you. Take, take it as best as you can. Um, but is there anybody in the house that can agree with me? It's tricky to walk with God. <laughs> I tell the students, uh, it's much simpler to walk with God than you've ever thought. And it's much more complex than you've ever thought. It's both. Um, apparently, we just we live by faith, right? We live in the Spirit. We live by faith. Uh, Paul, can you tell me more? <laughs> it is simple. Faith and uh, touch your spirit where the Spirit of God resides and commune with Him in faith. Okay, could you please tell me how to do that? It gets tricky. And in my personal walk with God, I stumble into a lot of walls and barriers, and I wrestle through it with God. And here are, as it were, 10 tips for spiritual growth. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 18, uh, among many passages, Peter says that we ought to grow, uh, grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. As it were, this is tip number one. What do you pursue as the object or as the goal for spiritual growth. Peter gives me a hint here. Pursue the grace which is the infusion of God into your being. Pursue, grow in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That grace 
is that fullness of God that the Gospel of John says, of His fullness we have received grace upon grace. And Peter says, grow in that fullness of God. In other words, grow in a person, Almighty God. But I caught myself over the many years, I grew not in the infusion of God in my being we call grace. Most folks think grace is just God sort of forgiving, God turning a blind eye. It is that. But grace is actually the nature of God touching you, reaching you, filling you. But as I've learned the spiritual life in Africa and in much of America, sorry to say, I don't grow in the fullness of God, in the bosom of God, the, the, the stuff that comes out of the belly of God, that is His person. No, I grow in Christian principles and truths. And, and if I were to tell you all the things that I have chased, just like the ecclesiastical writer would say, you're grasping a little bit after nothing. I've done that in my spiritual life. I've not gone after the bosom of God. God, the person of God, I've gone after rabbit trails. And this Bible that we have, I don't have my copy out. Um, this Bible uh, provides lots of opportunities to go on rabbit trails. And the obscure and the mystical and the conspiratorial. And Peter says, grow in the grace. Grow in what comes out of the nature of God that touches you. So tip number one for me is um, the spiritual life, you're only actually going to really, really grow if you connect with the grace of God and learn to live in the grace of God and move in the grace of God and have your being constituted in the grace of God. Of course, me, I want to get into works and steps and all sorts of shenanigans and I run into walls and I wonder, but I'm trying this, I'm trying that, and I, 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 this truth, and I try that truth. Why is this not working for me? Because I'm not living in a person, pursuing a person, loving a person, enjoying an actual person. I'm after all sorts of rabbit trails. There are so many ministries built after rabbit trails and not the infusion of God into a person. But then he says here, grow then in the knowledge of our Lord. Get to know Him. As Paul would say in Philippians 3.10, my determined purpose in life is to know Him. And do you know how few of us read the Gospels? Do you know how few of us sometimes just read the narrative of the most beautiful man that has ever lived? See, me, I'm tempted to go after Christian truths, little principles, little steps, and they're good. But listen to the admonition, grow in grace. Okay, so we get that. But get to know Him. What makes Him tick? What's on His heart? What's on His mind? And you'll see your spiritual life falls flat. You run into a wall and you stunt and you shoot yourself on the foot. And it becomes a schlep and a bother and dry as dust. And the Bible becomes a closed book to you when you're not really aiming to get to know Him. And so what for me is the pursuit of spiritual growth? Um, I don't care how this planet began. I'm not worrying when this planet will end. 
I'm not to grow in the knowledge of, let's say, end times. Or the current times. Or the New York times. (laughs) I'm supposed to grow, apparently, in the knowledge of the man that's outside of time. And wants to use me in time. And I find that when I live in grace and move in grace, and when I pursue the knowing of Him, I find that my spiritual life just is is alive and vibrant. I find that I have rhythm and move with God. And I find that I enjoy Him in my being and my being in Him. Yeah. It just gets easy. And then, of course, I'm a doofus. And so it's just a matter of days before I get back into all sorts of rabbit trails. And I'll get into rabbit trail spirituality in just a minute with you. But okay. Coffee break. I'm still recovering from uh, being in the hospital (laughs) last week. Um, I don't know if you've ever been stoned. I suppose it's confession time. (laughs) So let's open the confession booth. Yeah, I got stoned last week, y'all. I praise God for drugs. I want to make another shirt. If you're stoned, say yes to drugs. (laughs) Greatest feeling in my life, besides a couple of others that trump that, but greatest feeling in my life is when you get into the hospital and you're screaming like a baby, um, and then the they inject you with some drug and it immediately hits you and you're all loopy and you go from a 10. The one gentleman in here said you go from a 10 to heaven, but you go from a 10 to zero and it's just, oh, that you can breathe all of a sudden. Greatest, greatest feeling I've had in a long time. Say yes to drugs, people. (laughs) And as a result, my throat feels scratchy a little bit still today. So anyway, where were we? Spiritual growth. If you want to talk about kidney stones, hey, I'm your man. It's going to draw you closer to God, but not before you lose your religion a couple of times. <laughs> okay, tips for spiritual growth. Number one, don't interrogate God. Do not become a kind of a litigator, a kind of a judge that cross-examines God. This is what I've had to learn. I don't know where you are in this journey, but life has not been easy for me. And just like you, I've had my fair share of hell and pain in the valley of the shadow of death. And in that moment when you're hanging on crosses, it's the natural thing to ask why, when, Why not? Where were you? And perhaps like you, I do this thing all the time where things, of course, I'm a rational human being. Things have to line up in life for me. And I try to discipline myself for things to line up. I try to make wise choices. Even in the book of Proverbs, we are admonished to be wise so that it goes good with us. And so I try to do the right thing, but just like you, I, (laughs) controlling life is but an illusion, yeah? Things are going to go wrong, with your help or without your help. 
And so what happens to me is I've tried so hard to do good. I've tried so hard to live right. But invariably, uh, the cat has babies and the tire hits the fan. In my life, just like it does in yours. And in that moment, immediately, in my spiritual life, I tap out of grace. Because I'm not experiencing grace. This is a little difficult right now. Like last week, no grace. So you tap out of grace... And I don't want to know the knowledge of God and His involvement in it. I now want to interrogate God so He can explain to me what I've done wrong, what they've done wrong, or what He has done wrong. And where's the devil in all of this so I can bind him? I got my rope ready. And so I start on a little bit of a tantrum fit with God. When will you? Why didn't you? But I thought you could. You should. And I find myself not in the position of a son before the father. I find myself as a litigator entering into a trial with God, much like the book of Job. The book of Job is a book that tells the story of a human catastrophe. And all of us is really Job. Catastrophe is going to come to all of us in some way, shape, or form. I pray it doesn't come in the form of a kidney stone. (laughs) But the entire book of Job is people trying to figure God out. Where was God? When will God? Why didn't God? And it's a book, interrogating and cross-examining book. It's a book that tries to explain God through the human understanding and squeeze Him into the human mold. And the entire book is one discourse after another. And and what is it? It's just people trying to figure out a God that by and large is mysterious. And I do the same. So here's my notes. Don't put God on trial. Now, beloved, I put God on trial because I want to like live right. And I, I want to prosper in life. And do good. And so I need him to give me an answer. I need him to give me a step. and Give me a breakthrough. And I need it pronto. And if you've walked with God any number of years, have you noticed that he doesn't answer you? Have you noticed that he doesn't all of a sudden jump out of heaven like, oh, and just pamper to our tantrums? Have you noticed that the more you interrogate him, almost the more quiet he becomes? And it's unnerving, is it not? Okay, you've not had any of these experiences. <laughs> is it not unnerving, people? It's awful. So what do I do in this, this mystery where God doesn't show up? He's awfully late. He doesn't explain himself. This is where grace comes in and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. If you've grown in grace and you know your Lord that himself at one time said, why have you forsaken me? If you know him, then it will flood you with a kind of a confidence that suffering and death is but a pathway to resurrection for the joy that was set before him. And the one that suffered the greatest uh, uh absence of God is, is our Lord on that cross. My Father, where are you in all of this? Why have you forsaken me? 
that one will comfort you and strengthen you in that mystery when God doesn't show up or manifest himself. And that's what grace and the knowing of him will do for you in that mystery. So, beloved, uh, principle number one, step number one, lesson number one, or point number one, I don't know how to put this, that I've learned is, yeah, learn to, as it were, stay at peace with God. Because um, God's name is not, I'll explain, His name is, I am. And He has to allow you and I occasionally to experience mystery so that you can tap into the reality of a God, bitten or not bitten, He is there. But of course, my spirituality pivots around, Yahweh explains everything. And uh, you are not going to grow if you're just wanting a God to at all times explain Himself to you. Um, I say here that God does not respond well to interrogation. If you can cross-reference the book of Job there a little bit. But you'll see in uh, Job 38 and uh, to the end of the book, God was irate with the interrogation of Job and his so-called friends. It seems to me that God responds best when I stay humble and meek and gentle and lowly before Him. But when I take the posture of an interrogator instead of a son lowly before the Father, you'll see your spiritual life just stunts. And so what we do in that time is we say, Lord, I may not understand, but I trust. Even if you slay me, yet I, I trust. I, Lord, I trust. I've learned this, and for those of you that have walked with God for any length of time, I think you'll probably agree with this, but things that happened to you in this decade seldom is explained to you by God. It only becomes clear like in the next decade. It's almost as though things that happen to you today have to go through about a decade of mystery and let life just continue before the explanation comes. And what God is after in this kind of a trial or this mystery is that you would experience things of Him beyond explanation. That you would touch Him in faith and in love and experience grace. Explanation will come. And it often comes about 10 or 20 years from now. Have you all ever experienced that? And so a lot of students, they are in their 20s and the tire hits the fan, and the cat has babies, and the rabbit has babies in life. Those are all metaphors for the worst catastrophe that can befall a person. <laughs> we all experience it, and they also want to know why. And they feel like they've sinned, and they've done wrong. And Call me in about 10 or 20 years, and the answer will be self-evident. Amen? So just stay there. I say here, beloved, that explanation is not your greatest need before God. Because for those who have faith, no explanation is necessary. For those who have faith, no explanation is necessary. 
See, Jesus on the cross says, Father, why have you forsaken me? There was no answer, right? There was no explanation, right? But how do we know the Lord had faith in that hour? Because he said, Father, into your hands I commit my... That's faith. You may not answer. You may not be present as I need you to be present. Nevertheless, I commit my being, my spirit, into your... That is what the Lord is after when he puts you and I on a cross. For those without faith, no explanation will suffice. Yeah? Dallas Willard, um, a beautiful man that has gone to be with our Lord, says, God remains humanity's greatest disappointment. Why? Because he doesn't answer us. He doesn't show up. He doesn't fits neatly, squeeze neatly into our box of what a God should do. Hence our disappointment with God. And I certainly have experienced that. Um, But I say it this way. God remains humanity's greatest disappointment to those who cannot live by faith in the tension of mystery. Point number one. Don't interrogate God, but you can take this to the bank. You will experience mystery in your spiritual life. Even though the Bible has answers and methods and principles, sometimes those things are just not going to perfectly work in your life. Sometimes it's just going to fall a little bit flat. And it doesn't mean you've, you've blown it. It doesn't mean the devil is out to get you. There are just sometimes things in life that are just beyond us. Book of Job. It's beyond us, and there's mystery. And I just want to say this in closing with this one point. If you cannot handle mystery, your spiritual life is going to be miserable. If you disagree, just keep quiet. If you cannot handle mystery, your spiritual life is going to be tough. Miserable, a bother, a schlep, a burden. Amen? Get used to a God that, yeah, is a little bit mystical. 